Revelation chapter 7, as we've been teaching through the book, that's where we are. And, you know, very fitting song, the last song we sang, where we're going to exchange it for a crown. You know, I, I hope we're thinking that's today. <laughs> like, before we get done with our Bible study, we're living in that state of expectancy, looking forward to believing that the return of Christ is imminent. It's, it's critical in our, our lives. John writes here in, in chapter 7, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. Notice their activity here. That the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard, and I heard the number. John says, I, I literally heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all of the tribe of the children of, say it really loud, Israel, we're sealed. It's not very confusing. You read it, it says it. Father, again, just bless our time. Lord, may your word find good soil within each one of our hearts. That, it, that your word might sink in and, and produce fruit in our lives that others could partake of. That we might be abiding in you. For apart from you, we can do nothing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, what I want to do is I just want to review just for like one minute. Chapter 4, the church was taken into the heavenly scene. Those who had confessed Jesus as the master, the Lord of their life. Chapter 5, the scroll with seven seals is in the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And John notices it. And in chapter 6, remember, the Bible was never written with chapters. So really chapter 6 doesn't exist and 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 an angel is is proclaiming who is worthy to remove the seals. And we realize that no man is worthy. No one. There's no one good enough. And so Jesus steps forward and in chapter 6 he starts to pull off the seals. And as he peels these seals the judgment of God takes place upon this Christ-rejecting earth. And then we saw the first seal with the, the bringing forth of the Antichrist on the white horse as its rider. The second seal bringing forth wars. The third seal bringing forth famine. And then the fourth seal bringing forth death on that ugly gray horse. And a fourth of the population is killed. There's, eight, there's a 7.6 billion rounded up to eight for easy, simple public math for me. So that means... One-fourth of the population, two billion people are going to be killed in those four, four, four seals. The fifth seal we saw was the beheaded ones wearing white robes who were concerned about how long they would have to wait until God repays those on the earth who had been slain. And that brings us right into chapter 7. And before the seventh seal is opened... A couple of things need to take place. We're going to see that seventh seal open in, eight, in chapter 8. But before that takes place, if you look back to the last words of chapter 6, it says, who's able to stand? It's a great question. 
Well, chapter 7 is going to answer who's able to stand. And there's going to be two groups of people. There's going to be these 144,000 Jews, and there's these saints who are saved as they go through the tribulation period, but they have to die. They have to be killed in order to get into heaven. That's what we're going to see in this seventh chapter. So let's jump in. After these things, after he started seeing these seals being peeled off and these horses coming and these different things happening, John says, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Now, the critics are quick to point out that the Bible is not inspired because John thought the world was flat. Really? Seriously? Yeah, 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 yeah. Four corners, you know, corner one, two, three, four, obviously a square. Well, if the early sailors would have read their Bible, especially Isaiah 40, verse 22, they would have determined that God referred to the earth as a circle. So there's no confusion here. It could have saved some worry back then in those pre-Columbus days. So the critics really need to read their Bible. Plus, in 2010, and I went back and found it last night, the Marines ran a nationwide ad that declares that they are on the four corners of the earth. Does the Pentagon really think the earth is flat? Yeah, I don't think so. Or is it just a figure of speech like the four points of a compass as we see in Revelation chapter 7, which is still really used, the figure of speech is still used in our world today. You know, I think you can figure it out, but if you're confused, Cindy takes these orienteering classes. She can show you on a compass where it says north, south, east, and west, four corners, and it's the whole thing. I'll tell you this, though. You're not going to want to be sailing during this time. What are the four angels doing? What does it say? It says they're holding back the wind. Better make sure you have a motor if you go sailing. You know, they're holding back the wind for a long period of time. It doesn't say how long. Think of these smog-producing cities, for those of you who came out of the L.A. San Fernando Valley Basin. Those who lived in New York, Houston, Spokane, Washington. You know, it's kind of surrounded by mountains. It gets very smoggy when they start kicking up those wood, for, wood fire burners. Or how about the little city where the chili pepper salsa is made? And I remember reading about it. It made news a couple years ago. And it's like, man, they gas this out. I've done that in my own house before. Not good. What happens when the wind does not blow for any extended length of time? Man, people are going to die just from respiratory issues. These... Four angels are holding back the wind, the wind that blows from the north, the wind that blows from the south, the wind that blows from the east, and the wind that blows from the west. I mean, that kind of sounds like four corners, if you ask me. Some view these four angels as the four horsemen in the last chapter. Your call, you can decide there. The simple understanding here is God is in control using his angels to do his bidding. Some believe these four angels that are holding back the wind are the first four trumpet angels in chapter 8. Again, you, you know, your call. No one really knows. We also don't know how long they hold the wind back for. So you can let your own imagination run wild on that. Then I saw another angel, verse 2. Some believe that's possibly the fifth trumpet angel that we're going to see in chapter 8. Again, I, we don't know for certain. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. 
And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. And see, that's why they think these four angels holding back the wind are the first four trumpet angels in chapter 8. Because it says it was granted to them to harm the earth and the sea. And they're saying, this angel's saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we, so there's more than one here, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their forehead. So four angels who are about to bring forth judgment on this earth, they're ready to act, but the fifth angel enters the scene and halts the whole activity until the servants, the foreheads of the servants of God are sealed. And if you've read ahead, you know who these servants are. And you should. With Calvary Chapel, we read, read, we read ahead. So you know who these servants are that are going to get marked. And they can't be hurt as God pours out his wrath on this Christ-rejecting world. It tells us right here in, Luke, in verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel, were sealed. It's very clear. We know today we as the bride of Christ are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Ghost was given to us as a down payment that God would rapture us away. So we know it's not us. Well, who are these 144,000 then? Well, they're born-again Jews. They're born-again Jewish evangelists. They're little Billy Grahams running around the earth preaching the gospel. And you know what? Nobody can touch them or harm them. You can't shoot them. Maybe the bullets bounce off them or they go through them and they just heal. You can't nuke them. You can't try and hurt them. They are the modern day Rack Shack and Benny. Remember the guys that get thrown in the fire and nothing happens to them except for the ropes burn off? That's who these guys are. There's 144,000 of them. You go to behead them, the sword bounces back. I mean, I don't know if that's true. Maybe you can't even get close to them. You lock them up, they walk right out of the jails. Nobody can touch them. They're God's men. They're marked. They're going to declare the gospel, so that people on this earth can get saved. You know, the amazing thing about all of this, and there's many things here, is that in 70 AD, Roman general Titus Vespasian, when he, when he burnt down Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, all the genealogical records in the temple burned up. The Jews were very meticulous in keeping track of who came from what tribe. Remember they came back out of captivity and they got out the genealogical records and if your name wasn't in there, sorry, you're not Jewish. You're not of Israel. No, but we are. Sorry, you're not in, the, you're not in there. Well, that's all burnt up now. It's not a problem. I mean, God knows what tribe everybody's from. If you fast forward to chapter 14, verse 1, you're going to see there's 144,000 that appear there, every one of them are present and accounted for. Why? Because God said so. God marks them. They're going to go through the tribulation period. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, and having his father's name written on their foreheads. God's faithful to his word, team. He had marked 144,000. He ends up with 144,000. And this marking or sealing his people, it's nothing new. He, God's done this in the past. Remember when the Israelites are coming out of Egypt? Passover supper? They do some marking, right? They mark the sides and they mark the top of their doorposts that as the destroyer went out, he would pass over their houses. Why? Because they were marked. Because they were sealed. Turn into your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 9. Middle, it's going to be kind of in the middle to the right. 
You're going to find the Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Big book. Can't miss it. A lot of chapters. We're going to see an angel goes out and marks those before God brings forth his judgment upon them. Those in Revelation chapter 7 are angels. These here in Ezekiel chapter 9 are angels as well. Look at Ezekiel chapter 9. Then he called out in my hearing with a loud voice saying, let those who have charge over the city draw near, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. Not human, probably angels. Suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his battle axe in his hand. One man among them was clothed with linen and had a rider's inkhorn at his side. Then they went in and stood before the bronze altar. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been where it had been to the threshold of the temple, and he called to the man clothed with linen who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all of the abominations that are done within it to the others. So these that are, that are broken by the worship of idols and all this stuff that's going on. Take notice of them. To the others, he said in my hearing, go after him through the city and kill. Kill who? Those who aren't marked. Those who aren't crying and sighing over the abominations that are going on. Go after them through the city and kill. Do not let your eyes spare nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men. Maidens and little children and women, but do not come near anyone on whom is the mark and begin at my what? Oh, yeah. That's New Testament theology. Peter writes about that. That judgment's always going to begin at the house of God. So they began with the elders who were before the temple. So do you see the halt in action? God is bringing his judgment on his people, but first he identifies those who are his. Very similar to what we see in Revelation chapter 7 and chapter 14. God marks these born-again Jews whom he has called. So as you make your way back to Revelation chapter 7, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Out of the tribe of Judah, how many are sealed? 12,000. Huh. So look at these first four verses. Observe some inductive Bible study skill here. Make some observations. Make an extremely important observation of utmost importance to you and I as Gentile believers. What do you see as you look at these first four verses? These 144,000 Jews appear to be the only ones during the tribulation that are 100% protected by God. What's, what's missing from verses 3 and 4? The church. The bride of Christ is missing. The church being marked or protected by God is missing. So if you have a mid-trib view or a post-trib view of the rapture, either A, the Jewish servants of God walk through the tribulation and cannot be hurt, but the bride of Christ is beheaded? Hmm, I think that scenario has issues. 
Or scenario B, the Jewish servants of God are the only ones sealed and walked through the tribulation because the bride of Christ was raptured away in chapter 4. It's got to be that. We're not there because we're not there. To me, this is a no-brainer. Why would Jesus cause the, the church to go through the, bride, through the tribulation when he was, uh, died for them, but the 144,000 born-again Jews, they get a pass? That makes no sense to me. See, the reason the church is not sealed here, along with this 144,000 Jews, is because the Holy Spirit sealed us on earth. And thus we arrived in heaven by rapture before any of this takes place. It's very clear to me. It should be very clear to you. Verses 5 to 8 declare to us exactly who of the tribes of the children of Israel are sealed. Everyone see that? We can read it if we need to. Of the tribe of Judah, how many again? Of the tribe of Reuben, how many? Of the tribe of Levi, without looking. Oh, you guys are so sharp this morning. So who are the first 12,000 sealed without looking? Judah. First grade reading level skill. However, the cults, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, the Worldwide Church of God, the Seventh-day Adventists, they all claim that they have, their people are the 144,000 here. Huh. Really? Well, let's test that. Can you see a problem, though? Four different cults, each lying claims to this 144,000, saying, hey, these are our people. Can you see a conflict? See, if that was true, it's not. But if it was true, then three of those cults are wrong and only one of them's right. I'd kind of like to put them all in a room and let them debate, like, hey, hey, what's us? No, it's us. I mean, that'd be pretty funny. In that whole group of four, only one of them can be right. But in the reality is all of them are wrong. Now, I don't say that to make fun of them. I say that because you may work beside them. I would never throw that at them at the door. No, I'd throw the gospel at them because they can't say anything about the gospel. But you may work with them. Maybe there's someone that's always kind of throwing their stuff at you. Hey, this is a great thing to throw back on them. And I'm going to give you some great answers as to why they're wrong and why the Bible declares that you're right. It's almost as if God knew man would try to pervert his words here. So he makes this extra clear, like bulletproof case that these are his people and nobody else. The fakies say that this is all symbolic. And that they have the correct interpretation that these 144,000 in heaven are the best of their best in their organization. I say, I don't think so. But let's look at the facts that God spoke to John and then we can all decide. We'll just kind of be like investigators here. Clear fact number one is found in verse four. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. That's pretty clear. It doesn't say anything about spiritual Israel. God say, said they are children of Israel. Pretty simple. But the cults and parts of the church today say, no, that's spiritual Israel because God's done with Israel. Mm, that's not true. Clear fact number two is found in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul says that we are children of Abraham by faith, not spiritual Israel. That's made up. 
Clear fact number three is found in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, which is very clear that God is not done with the nation of Israel. However, these false organizations and parts of the church today refuse to see the 70th seven of Daniel. 69 have been fulfilled. The last one to be fulfilled is this seven-year tribulation period. And parts of the church today, Christians, fail to realize that God is not done with the nation of Israel. They say God is done with them. They had their chance. Boy, I'm glad God isn't that way with you and me. Oh, you're done. You failed too many times. I'm writing you off. That's what they have to say. That's what they have to believe. God gave them all these chances. I'm done with them. Jeez. Well, let's see. You're at 5,227. If you get to 6,000, you don't get to go. I mean, that's crazy. But that's, that's their thinking. Clear fact number four is found in verses five through eight in our chapter. This reads the number of each tribe. The listing of each tribe is very specific that they came out of the children of Israel as we saw in verse four. Clear fact number five is the 12 names. The listing of the 12 tribes helps rebut the contention by some that certain tribes of Israel are lost today. Do they look lost to you? No, God, has them. God knows where they are. My personal favorite, though, the only one I use, clear fact number six. When they tell me that these 144,000 are the best of their best, I simply ask them two questions. Do you have any women in your 144,000? And they always say, yes. Do you have any men that were fathers in your 144,000? And they say, yes. Tell the person beside you. They always say yes. Tell them. They always say yes. To, to, I go, really? Well, can we go to, look one more spot. Can we go to Revelation 14? So we go to Revelation chapter 14. And if you start at verse 1 here in chapter 14 and read down to verse 4, you will find, speaking of the 144,000 born-again Jews, in context, verse 4, these, the 144,000 that were marked, are ones who were not defiled with women. Are you guys into homosexuality or something? What? Well, well look, this says they didn't know, they, they had no relations with women. You got fathers and what? See, then they, they just don't even know how to react at that point. These are the ones who were not defiled with women for their what? Now, they didn't have sex ed when I went to school. Maybe they did. I didn't listen. Um, but I, I think that's someone that's never had sex and had a baby. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe the term's changed. So they're men and not fathers. Can we all see that? Yes? Okay, so they, they say they have women in their 144,000, and they say there's fathers in their 144,000, and yet the Bible says, no, these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were redeemed from among men, not women, being the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. At which point they're busted. To me, and hopefully to you, it is so obvious that God is not through with the Jews because of the promises He made to them, nor the cults. Listen, they believe they are true. When we engage them, we should be able to know something because we care about them and because we love them and be able to speak truth back to them because they think they have the truth and they think we, we, have, the, we have the lie. And yet the reality is it's the other way around. 
The Bible says that God's words are irrevocable. Sure, they have failed. The Jewish, the Jewish, the nation of Israel has failed. They've whined. They've complained. They've faltered. Why, the nation of Israel even crucified the Messiah. But haven't you in one way or another? I know I have. God says he won't turn his back on them just like he won't turn his back on you and me numerous times in his word. So let's just look at one. Let's go to Jeremiah. Go back to Ezekiel and then back up a little bit. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35. I want you to see why God is not done with the nation of Israel. He's not. You know, and this is for parts of the church because parts of the church say, no, God's done with Israel. All of these promises for Israel belong to the church. That's not true. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35. Look what it says there. Thus says the Lord who gives the, say it, the sun for a light by day, the ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, that's the tides, the Lord of hosts is his name, if, and that's big if, if these ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then, so if the sun, the moon, the star, if they depart from me, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Um, do we still have the moon? That's yes or no? Yes or no? Do we still have the stars? Do we still have the sun? Well, how can we say God's done with the nation of Israel? I don't know. God's not done. Look at verse 37. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured, of course, they're always trying, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, we don't even really try that, at least they never tell us they do, I will cast off all of the seed of Israel for all they have done, says the Lord. Well, we know this is never going to happen because every time they build a bigger telescope, what happens? Wow, the heavens are bigger than we thought. So they're never going to figure this out. One last thing as you look at this list of tribes back in Revelation chapter 7. As you look at this list of these 12 tribes that are listed, what's different from what we normally see in the Old Testament? There's something different there. The scriptures contain over 20 different times a list of the tribes of Israel are mentioned in the scriptures, kind of depending on how you count them. Some would say there's more than 20 lists. Now, we're all familiar with the fact there's actually 13 tribes, right? We should be. Remember when Jacob came to Joseph? As Joseph was down in Egypt, Jacob thought that his son had been killed only to find out that Joseph was one of the leaders in Egypt. So when Jacob comes and Joseph brings Ephraim and Manasseh, his sons, to his dad, Jacob says, hey, Joseph, those are my sons. And Joseph, or Jacob took those sons unto himself and said, hey, you have your own kids, but the, I'm taking Ephraim and Manasseh. And we would find Ephraim and Manasseh listed in the list of the tribes. And we wouldn't find Joseph listed anymore. And so Joseph got divided into two, and Ephraim and Manasseh. And yet here in this list, we find Joseph. Now the Levitical tribe became the 13th tribe, but was not mentioned amongst the tribes, wasn't usually included in the list because God was their inheritance. For instance, when in the division of the land where there, there was no portion of land for the Levites because the Lord was the portion, and yet they are listed here in chapter 7. 
So now we have a problem because we have 13 tribes. Not a lost tribe, but an added tribe problem. So even the sayings in the world are wrong. Now as a rule, you don't normally read of the tribe of Joseph. Like I said in these lists, it was divided into two. However, here we find the tribe of Joseph and the tribe of Manasseh being sealed. Well, what about Ephraim? Who else is missing? Dan. Dan and Ephraim is omitted. Levi's added. Joseph's added. Dan and Ephraim are omitted. omitted. So, man, we've got to ask ourselves, why is that? God's word can answer that. Because God's word can answer everything. Deuteronomy chapter 20, 29, verse 21. Last detour to the Old Testament, I promise. I think. <laughs> and Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 21. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's all the more I know, so that's all I'm going to tell you. It says, anyone involved in idolatry would be cut off. Could it says. And the Lord said, and the Lord would separate him from all of the tribes of Israel for adversity according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. You can go back and read the whole chapter tonight. But if you were involved in idolatry, God said he'd cut you off. If you go to Tel Dan today and you go up to the ex excavated sites up there, they've ex excavated the site where the pagan altar was. That altar that was built by Jeroboam that was used so the Israelites could worship the two golden calves up in the north that Jeroboam had created so you didn't have to travel all the way to Jerusalem during the feast days. And thus these two tribes were cut off according to God's word for worshiping at this false idol, this false altar. They're not sealed. They're not protected in Revelation chapter 7. Now here's where it gets interesting though. Even though the tribes are not listed here, and they're going to experience the wrath of God for seven years. When the Lord comes and establishes his thousand-year millennial reign on, the, on this earth, as he sets up his kingdom for a thousand years, and when he reapportions the land according to the list we see in Ezekiel chapter 48, the first tribe to receive its inheritance is the tribe of Dan. Even though Dan was led into idolatry when they walked on this earth and was not sealed, and Dan, the tribe of Dan had to go through the tribulation period, Dan is the first tribe to get his portion during the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. So why is that? Man, it's a total act of God's mercy. That's our God we serve. It's also... Because God's promise to them is that he's always, yeah. I mean, if you read the whole Old Testament, what is it? They get it together, they sin, God judges them. They get it together, they sin, God judges them. I mean, that's the whole book. I mean, that's their, that's their history. And yet God's never done with them. That's, like, that's why he's never done with you and me. The devil will lie to us and tell us, I'm, you're done with it. Boy, you did that. Oh, you're, you're never, oh, nope, second rate, bench warmer. No way. Those are lies, man. We're all in the game. Get in the game. We got to play. Why? Well, this is a great picture here. Dan had to go through, but they get their land first. The other interesting thing here is that the tribe of Judah is listed first. But who was the oldest? Who was the firstborn? Reuben. Remember what Reuben did though? Reuben went in and slept with his dad's concubines. So that title was taken from him. It was given to Judah. Judah was given the scepter that Judah would be the reigning tribe. Of course, we know that David comes from the tribe of Judah as well as Jesus. And he was the branch out of Judah, the stem of Jesse, also known as the tribe of Judah. 
or of the line of the tribe of Judah. So it's kind of interesting how God works all of these things out. He uses man's failures for his eternal purposes. And that's why these are listed the way they are. Moving on to verse 9. After these things, after these things he sees sealed. Who's getting sealed? After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all, all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. So a large group, what are they doing? Say it out loud. They're standing. You might want to th- remember that. They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with what? Remember that. With palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and on the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the, th- the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worship God, saying, Amen. Blessing and honor and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving, honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever and ever. Amen. Now, please understand, this is not the church. The church is represented by the 24 elders back in chapters 4 and 5. And we were seated when John saw us, and these here are standing. Well, who are these? Well, these are the redeemed ones out of the tribulation period. How do I know that? Well, because I just want you to believe me. No, because you've read ahead. You already know we're going to find that out. They're the tribulation saints. They're the ones that go through the tribulation period and they, they turn to Jesus as the Lord of their life from all across the world. These are the ones we saw when the fifth seal was, was open. Remember back in chapter six. And they're underneath the what? Underneath the altar, and they have, what do they have on? White robes. And what are they saying? How long until you get vengeance? Remember them? These are probably the fruit of the ministry of the 144,000 born-again evangelists that are out preaching the gospel. These are those that were rejected on earth during that seven-year period of time, but received up into heaven. But you know what? These had to get killed before they got there. This isn't the best way to go. Well, you know, I'll just wait till the rapture of the church happens, then I'll live right for Christ. You're going to die to get to heaven. Actually, you're going to be killed. And how do you know you're even going to make it? These will never hunger or thirst anymore like they're doing on the earth when the mark of the beast was established. The lamb is now their shepherd and will lead them, and this group will now serve God as their reward. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, who are these? In verses 9 through 12. Who are these? Arrayed arrayed in white robes. Well, we saw that in Revelation chapter 6. And where did they come from? Okay, eyes right here. Look, Look up here. This is really important. Learn John's answer here. Okay? We got that? Because this angel is still alive. Okay? When we get to heaven, we all need to be watching for this guy. We need to know John's answer. Okay, check this out. Look at verse 14. And I said to him, okay, so the question is, where did they come from? This angel is asking John. And John said to him, sir, you know. You got that? You learned that answer? Hey, Steve, where did these old people come from? Oh, you know that. 
Well, let me tell you, these are the, oh, no, you're wrong, because that's, didn't you read your Bible? I mean, better to say, sir, you know, than try and give an answer. Got that, Barry? Sir, you know. Can you say that? Actually, you should say, ma'am, yes, ma'am, you know. (laughs) And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones, because see, if you've read ahead, you knew exactly why, you knew who these were when we were back verses earlier. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, when you think of using blood as Clorox, how successful are you going to be? Not very. But when it's the blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, their robes were white as snow, white bead on the bracelet. Come now, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet. God says, I'll make them white as snow. We know during this seven-year period of time that the message of salvation will not only be declared by the 144,000 who have been sealed, but when you read ahead to chapter 14, you'll see that there's an angel flying throughout the midst of the earth, preaching and proclaiming the everlasting gospel. So these mission agencies that said, look, we need missionaries. We need to send them out because the Bible says right here that Jesus isn't coming back until the whole earth is heard. Trust me, if that was dependent upon man, we'd be in sorry shape. The angel in chapter 14 is going to go all across all of the world preaching the everlasting gospel. God has his 144,000 here sealed. And there'll be a great number of people that will be saved after the church is raptured. That's the good news. The bad news is for these that are going to get saved during the tribulation period is they're going to suffer greatly. And they're going to be killed. Verse 15. Therefore they... Pointing back to these that have been saved out of the great tribulation period. They are before the throne of God. And what do they do? They serve him. So they are, they're, they're sitting or standing? They're standing and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Okay. Open book test. What's the activity of these that have been saved out of the tribulation period? They're serving the Lamb. Now, I don't want to make a doctrine out of this, but I'm going to say this. You can all check it out. If you were newly married, like you said, I do, you're on your honeymoon, and then you said, okay, baby, time for you to serve me, the man, till death do you part. If you did that, um, you either A, missed premarital, or B, you missed the section in the Bible where it says the greatest in the kingdom is servant of all. But could you imagine the bride on her honeymoon night and the groom says, oh, by the way, from now on, you're going to serve me for the rest of that, That's your only I'm going to be fat and lazy and you're going to serve me. You're going to go out and work and you're going you're to labor and you're going to serve me because I'm the groom. Mm. Really? Luke 12. I said last detour in the Old Testament. Last detour, I promise. Luke 12, verse 22. I want you to see this and consider this and think about this. Luke 12, verse 22. Someone tell me who Jesus is speaking to when you get there. Luke 12, verse 22. Who's he speaking to? His disciples, right? Everybody see that? And who's his disciples? Who's his disciples? Come on. Jesus says those who are his disciples are those who deny themselves, pick up the cross daily, and follow Jesus. You know, you do the best you can do. Deny yourself every day, pick up the cross daily. Those are his disciples. 
Okay, so that's who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to his disciples. Now fast forward to verse 31 as we put some context to this. I looked all over. Nobody claims this as a parable, okay? Jesus is giving out straight truth here. And so here's what he tells his disciples. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock. Who's the little flock again? Disciples, thank you. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What's the father offering his disciples? The kingdom. For it is your father's good pleasure to offer you the kingdom. Sell whatever you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. In other words, send it all ahead for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's something disciples should be about doing. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. We, we should be giving people. You want to know what to give to? Hey, give to the Samaritan's Purse on the East Coast. Give to the guys, the Calvary Chapel is working down in Florida. Just saying, let your waist be girded, that's serving, and your lamps burning. Who's Jesus speaking to again? His disciples. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like, please don't miss this, you yourselves be like men because we are present tense servants of Jesus on this earth today. You yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding. Please take notice of the activity here. Because when you and I are waiting for the master, we live differently. So the question begs to be asked then, if Jesus was to come back tonight, is there anything you would change? And if you say yes, you need to change it right now. And then you have to keep it changed. It's critical. Because he could come back tonight. When he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Why? Because they are ready and they are watching. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Who are these uh, servants again? His disciples. What's their activity? They're watching. Assuredly, I say to you, my disciples that were watching and were raptured out of here, assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. Who's the them in the, in the writings here? The servants, right? We lost? Sleeping. Who, who's the them? It's the servants. Ultimately, his disciples. Who, who is he girding himself here? In the story, what's it say? The master. Who's serving who? The master is serving... The servants. Huh. It's not a parable. Jesus is teaching on the need to be living right and being ready. What was the last act of service from Jesus to his men? Remember? He served them communion and, and he washed their... Wow. The master serving his disciples. Who's serving who in Revelation chapter 7 verse 15? The servants are serving the master. They're standing and serving the master. Who's serving who in Luke 12? The ready disciples are sitting 
being served like we saw in chapter 4 with the 24 elders who are representing the bride of Christ. Because we're referred to as the bride of Christ in heaven, not servants. Look back to Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, by way of reminder. Those who overcome will sit down with Jesus on his throne, not stand. Acts 17, 11. Don't believe anything I just said. You go check it out. Do your own homework here. You want to stand and serve, or you want to sit and be served? To me, it determines, it kind of depends on how you live your life on this earth. I know we're all going to be stoked when we get to heaven. But if waiting till after the rapture to live for Jesus changes, changes my privileges for all of eternity, I don't know, maybe I'm just selfish. But I'd rather sit and be served than to stand and serve. I mean, certainly no one can ever accuse the God of the Word, for the God of the Word says, today's the acceptable day of salvation. Today's the day to be living right. Why wait until the tribulation period to get saved or to live right? Why, why wait until the tribulation period where it's like, today's the day Jesus is the master of my life? I believe too many in the church know Jesus as Savior, but they don't know him as Lord. And the Bible says very clearly, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It doesn't say anything about if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Savior. So can I know him as Savior and not as Lord? I think people do today. If I know him as Lord, obviously I know him as Savior. Why live under the cloud of a question mark? We saw that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I mean, there's no joy under the question mark, only worry and concern. These here in Revelation 7 have come out of the tribulation period because of their turning to Jesus and they are serving the Father before the throne day and night. And we, the bride of Christ, at least as I see this, are sitting on the, before the throne. If you're still at Luke 12, skip down to verse 40. Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's the context, to be ready, to be living right, to be watching. That's, what Je that's the heart of Jesus for his bride. He wants to serve us as we serve him on this earth. Verse 16, back in Revelation for the wrap-up here. They, the saved ones out of the tribulation that are serving night and day, shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. All the judgments of the tribulation are past them. And here's why. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And is Jesus doing that for you right now? I hope so. He can meet whatever needs going on in your life. If it's salvation, he can meet that. He can meet the greatest need. He wants to lead you if you'll just let him. All he's looking for are people who are willing to be led by him today. You know, God, God created the world and so loved it that he himself came to this earth to, to receive it back to himself, but the world rejected the creator. 
But what he offers to any today before his judgments, grace, mercy, forgiveness, second chances, thousands, thousands chances, you just have to come on, on his terms, not on your own. You have to receive Jesus into your heart as the Lord of your life because you believe in who Jesus is and what he's done. And thus, I want to be your servant here. That's what he wants to do in our lives. That's, that's what it says. He wants us to live as vessels that he can pour his Holy Ghost into and, and, and out of that he can work through us and be his hands and feet. That's, you know, when we finish this, we're going to go back to the Gospels. And Jesus talks about these, you know, where he goes, when did I see, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and in need and in prison and in hospital? And Jesus said, whatever you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. It's game time today, team. It's not a spectator sport. Christianity isn't. We've got to be involved. Whatever the Lord is driving us, that we've got to be involved in all of that in Jesus' name. That's today. Father, we're thankful for your goodness to us. Lord, I know you love us. You've proven